The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And today I'm delighted to bring to our listening audience, Mary Waldner, who is the founder of a product you're probably familiar with. It's called Mary's Gone Crackers, and they are delicious, organic, gluten-free crackers that one might want to eat even if they were not gluten intolerant. Mary, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, we have met at several food gatherings across the country, and I've been very intrigued with your story. You started out as a therapist, a marriage and family therapist, to be specific, and all of a sudden you've got a food company with 103 employees focused on gluten-free products. How did this happen? (laughs) Well, sometimes I ask myself that same question. I was diagnosed with celiac disease in 1994. I had been sick most of my life. I was 43 by then, and I I know I'd been sick at least since I was three years old. So it was quite a journey to finally figure out what was wrong with me. And having been a therapist and knowing that food is so critical to everyone's health. I had already become kind of a healthy zealot and was eating organically and eating really nutritiously, but didn't realize that the gluten was what was the problem. So I turned to the healthy ingredients that I wanted to eat to try and make some products that I could eat because, well, in 94, there weren't very many gluten-free products out there and most of them were not the kind of ingredients I wanted to eat, which is actually unfortunately still pretty true today. So the cracker was something that I developed to have something to eat, particularly when I went out to parties or restaurants and people are eating bread and crackers and breadsticks and all kinds of things that I couldn't eat. So I would bring a little bag of them and have stuff to munch on while other people were eating, and I felt much less deprived and had stuff to dip and everything, and then watched over the years as other people started eating them, little kids, teenagers, adults from all over, everywhere I went. So I had to keep making more and more and more because every time I went anywhere, people wanted more. This was about five years of doing this. I... um woke up one morning and said to my husband, you know, I think we need to manufacture these crackers. And he said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of naive, both of us, because neither of us were in the food business. As you said, I'm I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and had a private practice for almost 30 years. And my husband's a general contractor in construction for all of his working life. So 
it took us about five years to learn about the industry, to write a business plan, to figure out how to automate this process that I had that was quite labor intensive that I had been doing in my kitchen. And in five years of intense work, in 2004, we started the company. So we've been in business for seven and a half years now. Well, I want to go back to the early days. You mentioned that you were sick since you were three, that mm-hmm. you suffered for, for really for more than 40 years. Mm-hmm. And did no physician at any point in your young life consider that you had a gluten intolerance? No, I never. I had never heard that word before, no. And what were your um, symptoms? Well, I had horrible digestive pain and a lot of fatigue, and as I got older, muscle weakness, bloating. But mostly for me, it was digestive pain. And there, every, like, six or eight weeks, I would have such a debilitating episode that I would just go to bed for a few days. And doctors told my mother that it was in my head and... Mm. And I had a lot of allergies in those days. You know, they'd give you scratch tests, and yeah. I I had a lot of allergies to environmental stuff. But nobody ever suggested celiac disease. Prior to the interview when we were talking, I had mentioned that as a dietitian, if I had seen maybe one patient with celiac disease 30 years ago, it was an oddity. And now you can't go to a meeting without filling out, you know, what kind of diet preferences do you have? And gluten-free is consistently an option. The gluten-free product aisles in grocery stores have expanded exponentially. Right. How did we make the change as a culture to not recognizing the disease to all of a sudden saying, wow, this is a significant portion of the population? Well, I think it's actually been consumer-driven and not doctor-driven. Maybe alternative health cares have helped, too. But, you know, in other countries, they're way ahead of us, and the, the awareness has finally hit our shores. I think there's so many people that have been just so sick, and doctors are starting to catch up. I remember going to a conference years ago, a celiac conference, where doctors were in the audience saying to the consumers there, if if you have these kinds of symptoms, you make sure your doctor tests you for this stuff because we don't know. We have not been trained. Most doctors in this country were taught that it's a very rare illness. They were taught years ago that you could outgrow it. And then the other issue is that there are also a lot of people who are intolerant to gluten that do not have celiac disease, and they can be just as sick, if not sicker, actually, than people with celiac disease. And that, I think, is a a combination of things, just a general allergy that a lot of people have, but also the fact that the gluten is just everywhere in our diet. We're eating so much more of it than we ever did. And the wheat that we're growing has been bred to have more gluten, less fiber, less nutrients. So, it, you know, the ancient grains like spelt and kamut were our wheat, but they're much lower in gluten and people would have, you know, a piece of bread or something and that would be it. And now if you think about it, all of our processed food for the most part have gluten, wheat, something in it. So we're eating gluten all day. And no one digests it. That's the other thing. It's it's actually, I just went to a conference where the doctor said that if you pipe out some of the stomach acids and stick your finger in the glass, you're, it'll 
the stomach acids would eat away your finger within three minutes. It'll, you'd be down to the bone. If you put gluten into that same mixture, it will never disintegrate. So it's not something that anyone digests. It just generally goes through our system. But for a lot of people, it causes a, either an autoimmune response, which is what celiac disease is, or it triggers a, a toxic response. So you were finally diagnosed by a chiropractor. Yes. You, right. And and then did you go then for a more thorough medical assessment to get the final diagnosis? No, I never did because what I did was I just stopped eating gluten for a month. I was actually starting to see an alternative doctor who gave me a lot of other tests because I, by that time I, w- I was a mess, and he found that I had a parasite. So I thought, oh, yay, it's not the gluten, I have a parasite. So after not having eaten gluten for a month, I decided to eat it again, and I got horribly ill with all the symptoms that I'd always had, and that was it. That's all I needed to know. Mm -hmm. So I I just stopped eating it. So you've gone then from being very ill to feeling extremely well. Mm -hmm. No, I'm a different person. People that I hadn't seen, you know, once I stopped eating gluten and then I would see people that I hadn't seen in a while, they, they thought I looked 10 years younger, they couldn't believe it. So, no, I'm, I w- could never have done what I'm doing now in this business in the state that I was in before. What really appealed to me about you and your company is that you took the compassion that you have as a therapist and you applied it to your food company. And that was really the thing that I thought, I must have Mary on the show because even on your website, you say to heal humanity and the planet by inspiring conscious eating. Tell me what you mean by conscious eating. Well, I think for me, consciousness, obviously, as a therapist is is very important. And when I look at what how we have evolved as a species, we used to eat the food that was in our environment. If it it was seasonal, it was grown, either we grew it ourselves or it was grown, you know, we foraged. And so we didn't really have to be that conscious about what we ate. We ate what was around us and what our ancestors had eaten, and, and that was that. And now we are so far from from that that we have choices now that, that are doing us a lot of damage and and are hurting not only our bodies, our children, our you know, our communities, but the planet as well, the way they're being grown. So for me, being conscious of of the food choices that you uh, make is critical to not only our personal health, but our community health and our environmental health. So I want people to to pay attention to when they buy food. Where is it grown? Who grew it? Have they, the farmers been sprayed with pesticides, not only the food, but the farmers? Is it some big agribusiness that's, that doesn't, you know, that's growing genetically modified with GMO seed? You know, what are you eating? And how does it, not only does it feel when you put it in your body, and how does it taste? And what's the impact that it has on your community and on the planet? So there, that's what conscious eating means to me. And it, the other thing is that 
in my mind, actually not just in my mind, in my reality, you do not have to compromise. You can have really good tasting, nourishing food that has not hurt any farmer or the, or the soil or the air or the bees and put it in your body and be really happy eating it. We don't have to choose crap, but we generally have and, and it's just been a gradual erosion of of our connection to healthy, wonderful food. Oh, I so agree with you. And, and <laughs> thank you for doing this, Mary. I so appreciate your business model and your philosophy. And I'm sure you've been asked this question, and I, I have this debate many times with consumers and with other food business owners when I request a food that is produced consciously. Uh, they'll say, well, you know, that's very nice, but it's going to cost more money and consumers aren't going to be willing to buy it or I won't be able to afford to produce it. I'm sure you've you've broached this subject in mm-hmm. your conversations. Tell me your thinking on this. Well, we are we use all certified organic ingredients. That was a no-brainer for me, and they are generally more expensive. As you get bigger and you can buy more quantity, the the prices do go down. But in my mind, again, this is part of being conscious. I would rather spend a little bit more on good quality food and eat less and be satisfied than buy junk. And that's what I'm encouraging people to do. You know, I think there's a, there is a myth to some degree about how much more expensive organic and good quality food is. It's true. It does cost more. It's not being subsidized by our government like junk food is. And so McDonald's, eating a meal at McDonald's is a, is a pretty cheap deal. But, but the, pay, the, the price that people are paying in their health long term, is it's not cheap at all. And I think that if people on a limited budget plan well, I mean, uh, this is how I ate. I never had any money. And, you know, I ate re- always organic food. I fed my son organic food. And it was just a priority for me because health is a priority for me. And feeling good and having a clear mind are a a priority, and I just think that's the most important thing we can do. So uh, that's my soapbox that I stand on all the time, and I know people struggle, and I certainly have a lot of empathy for that. But I also think we have to make a choice that that being clear-headed and clear-thinking and healthy whole people connected to our bodies and our earth is probably the most important thing we can do and it's and it's kind of a radical statement as well if you're just joining us we are speaking with Mary Waldner she is the chairman and founder of a wonderful company called Mary's Gone Crackers and if you've never tried these crackers let me just say that you do not have to be gluten sensitive to enjoy them they are gluten free organic and 100% delicious I, of course, agree with you about the importance of food as medicine, essentially. Preventive medicine, curative medicine. And as I want to go back to your days as a psychologist and a psychotherapist, and I'm sure you saw firsthand the ravages of poor diet. Do you have any examples that come to mind? Well, gosh, I have I have one example that I always think of because this couple was struggling with their daughter so much. 
And she was clearly, when she ate certain foods, kind of was bouncing off the walls. And she was, I think, five or six at the time. And and they, I'm, I don't think I said anything about gluten, but I think somehow they figured out the connection because when she ate bread or something, you know, her behavior just, she would just fall apart. And and then, you know, her behavior changed and she was wonderful and they couldn't believe it. And then I saw them later and they talked, oh, you know, she was acting out again. And I asked them about her diet and, well, they sort of let go of of being vigilant about it. And because people are so don't understand how much behavior can be impacted by by what we eat. That was that was a, a really obvious example. But there there's so many more about just. I remember a guy who just was in a fog, a, a mental fog. And and when I talked to him about what he ate and also what he drank, he just couldn't understand why was you know I'm here. You're a therapist. Why are you asking me about food? And um, when I would when I finally got him to look at what he was eating and how he felt during the day. And he came in once a couple weeks after he actually made a conscious effort to to eat three meals a day, to eat vegetables, you know, just to kind of pay attention. It wasn't even that big of a deal. He just would forget to eat or, you know, and just fill himself up with junk or candy. And he said he was walking down the street and it was like a curtain had lifted from in front of his eyes that all of a sudden he was seeing things more clearly and and just everything was more crisp and present and that was a, another very dramatic moment but you know i i preach to people like this all the time so um they would hear the no matter how much we're talking about your emotional stuff and we're working through those things if you're polluting your body every day with junk you're not going to be clear. Your your mind isn't going to be clear. Your heart isn't going to be clear. You're not going to have access to who you really are and what your truth is. And that's what my that's what I care about most. So people would over time make those connections. Well, now you're in the food business. You've yeah. you've transformed. You've gone from the healthcare, the healing professions to the food business, and I like to think that they are one and the same, and if only more of us thought about food production as being a healing business, right. maybe we'd be farther ahead. But what were your biggest challenges in starting a business? You really didn't have a, you didn't have a business degree, a business background. How yeah. did this, how did, you, how did you become successful? And what were your biggest challenges in getting there? Wow. Well, I think that our timing was really good. We manufacture our own product. Um, by the way, we make crackers, but we also make a pretzel that we call Sticks and Twigs, and we now have a line of uh, gluten-free, vegan, organic cookies as well. But the cracker is a very challenging product to make. It's not made like a normal cracker, so we actually had to invent some equipment and use other equipment that, that's not normally used in the food industry. So that... That took us a while. It took us a while to get really good at making them. But I think those challenges are just, you know, physical challenges that you just are you just deal with it. But I can say I think the the biggest challenge is the kind of input we got from the industry itself. 
our crackers took off, and so we were growing very quickly. And the advice that we get from people, and we st- I still hear it all the time, is that this is the way things are always done. You can't do this. You can't do that. Don't name your company Mary's Gone Crackers. Nobody will buy that. You know, you can't get into Whole Foods with only one product. You can't just over and over how we can't do what we wanted to do and which, of course, we ended up doing. So, so there's, there's, and I suspect that this is true in, in everywhere that when you, when you're challenging something that's, that's kind of established, you get a lot of negative feedback that it can't be done. And, um, and my husband and I talk about it a lot because the two of us would be knocked down from this kind of negative feedback. And one of the, I, I have the image of us being on a teeter-totter. One of us would be knocked down, and then the other one would be there to pull, the, pull us back up again. And Because we were constantly being told we couldn't do what we both envisioned being able to do and ultimately did do. So I think that as as outsiders to the industry, that gave us an advantage because we weren't we weren't already jaded in saying this is the way it has to be done, but but also as outsiders, we were seeing things like, wait, you're very limited. You're telling us we can't do it. We know we can do it, and I think that's a real common experience for people in 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 business that, or, or actually probably any endeavor when you're trying to do something different and you have a vision and you're excited and you have a lot of passion. People want to kind of knock you down. So that, I, I would say, that and dealing with people who um, who want to steal from you as well, which is a whole other story. But the negative energy around doing something different and when you have a lot of passion for it is quite a challenge. Well, you, you actually raised a point that I'd like to talk about, and that is the recipe and, you know, protecting the recipe. Mm-hmm. You've developed a, a cracker, you, as well as I should have also mentioned those lovely sticks and twigs, which are wonderful to snack on, as well as your delicious cookies. I'm kind of partial to the ginger one myself. But mm-hmm. the recipe, what is to prevent an employee from taking that recipe and going off and, and going right. to business themselves? Well, there, you know, there is a piece of paper that people have to sign. It's kind of feeble, but it, it, we do do that. The other, the real challenge, though, is that because, like I said, we use such specialized equipment, it's very expensive. It would be very expensive for someone to try to do what we're doing. So we really have an advantage that it would take a big commitment in equipment and and know-how to to try and copy what we're doing. So I think... That is a barrier, but we do ask all of our employees to sign a um, non-compete and non-disclosure paper. But you know, this is a that, this is the other benefit that I have to say that I didn't expect is we have such an, an amazingly wonderful group of people that that are working with us that it blows me away how how much time and energy and care people put into this company, and I just love it, and it feels like such a gift to me. So I can't imagine anybody (laughs) stealing from us in that way. Well, I'm sure your employees are simply reflecting the kind of management and care that they feel in working with uh, an employer who would put conscious eating on their website. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope so. I mean, you know, that that tagline that you read about uh, healing the planet and 
I can't I don't even to heal humanity uh, and the planet. Yeah, humanity, right. Right. That came from a, a series of workshops that we did, re, uh, employee retreats that we did. And it came from our, our team, which is really wonderful because to me that, that said that they got what we have been trying to infuse, that they were able to put it into words was just, it was a really wonderful gift again to me to see that what I have intended to do is working. <laughs> so that was nice. We only have several minutes left. I knew our time was going to evaporate. I've got to cover one question, and then I need to let you say whatever you want to. But what are your biggest costs, the the things that keep you up at night in terms of, wow, I I hope that doesn't doesn't continue to climb? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, ingredients do vary when you're buying huge amounts. We buy over 2 million pounds of rice every year and probably about – Five or six hundred thousand pounds of quinoa, and you know, so we're we're buying commodities, and bad years can make a big difference in price. So that's that's something that you know we've had a few bad years. There was one bad year for rice. There was one bad year for flax. That can make a big difference. Our I think though, of course, our biggest cost is labor, and uh, but. Uh, you know, not things don't keep us up at night like they used to. So I have to say, I, I, it feels much more stable. I, I worry about just the environment and all the changes that are happening and what's going to happen to agriculture and how are we going to have access to the high-quality ingredients that we have now. But so far, it's been fine. Mary, we just have a couple of minutes. Let me give you an opportunity to say anything that I may have neglected to touch upon. Well, I I think I want just to to encourage people if they're if they have um a variety of mysterious uh physical ailments to do a little research into gluten because I had digestive pain my son who also has the illness had migraines um there's all kinds of connections to various autoimmune diseases so uh, do a little research on the celiac sites and and see if maybe that might be an issue because I know I meet people all the time who who are very ill and don't get that connection and so that's that's my other soapbox. But otherwise, you know, check out our website and taste our products because they're delicious and I love feeding people. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful way to nurture and care for them, body, mind, and spirit. And I want to thank you for your business practices. We didn't talk about wages and health care, and I am curious to know about those expenses for you with your employees. Mm-hmm. Are are those the biggest labor issues beyond wage? Uh, health care. Well, we do we do have health insurance. That was something we committed to before we could really afford it. Yeah, it's just that's just part of doing business. So it's it's not. It's expensive. The pr- it keeps going up, which is unfortunate. We're actually thinking of getting a, an in-house um, physician's assistant to come in once a week and offer that to our employees because I think that'll lower our costs for healthcare and and help people prevent illness as well. But you know, we have a little community here, so uh, yeah, it, it costs a lot to um, take care of everyone. But it's just it's what we have to do. You're taking care of 103 employees, and you're taking care of people nationally with this terrific product. And, Mary, I want to thank you so much. We've been speaking with Mary Waldner. She is the founder and CEO 
a, a chairman and founder, excuse chairman, me, yeah. the chairman and founder of, of organic, gluten-free Mary's Gone Crackers. They are delicious. They are therapeutic. And I encourage everyone to check out the website, which we'll provide on our radio station link. It's marysgonecrackers.com for more information. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. And in closing, remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Mary Waldner, thank you so much for being my guest today. And thank you for your product. It was a pleasure. Thanks.